to come into the presence of the Lord, to see him and to celebrate him and to sense that he's near is a profound honor. And uh, it's a privilege we have in Christ. We should not take it lightly. A couple things I just want to encourage you about just before we turn to John chapter 6. One is uh, our senior pastor, Gary, um, is continuing to recover by God's grace from a a mild stroke that he had. We expect a full recovery. Uh, He was here uh, Friday and Saturday walking the the halls and uh, this place. He looks good. He sounds good. Uh, I would say that by next Monday, it seems like there will be limited time in the office, so that's eight days away, and then um, we'll see how he continues to um, strengthen from there. But continue, please, to pray for he and Pam. Um, We are here on a a moment. Sometimes we take a moment. We're just like, well, wait, 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 wait. Before we move on, we have to think about this, right? Right? And so the th- this that we have to think about today is uh, war declared in Israel yesterday. That uh, sudden surprise attacks by a terrorist organization called Hamas in the Gaza Strip, which is in the southern part of Israel, has left 500 people dead. They go into music festivals and literally took people hostage. hostage. And uh, now Israel, of course, is going to retaliate, and we have moved to the level of war, Benjamin Netanyahu said late yesterday. Of course, this attack occurs at 6.30 on the Sabbath in Jerusalem. Or it, the attack wasn't in Jerusalem, so, but in the, the, the Holy Land there. And it's in Gaza. So here I got a text, and maybe you got text from your uh, Jewish friends this morning. This one's from Ryan Karp, and he said, My people and my little brother Sam, who is an Israeli soldier, are fighting right now at the Gaza border. 500 dead, 2,000 wounded, at least 100 taken hostage. This is unprecedented in the last 50 years. All the passages you can think of that Christians normally use to take hope in the Lord apply directly to the Jewish people. He that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. The headlines you're seeing in the mainstream news sites pale in comparison to what's really happening in Israel. Please pray for my people. So I thought that's how we'd start the service. So would you go to me, go with me to the Lord in prayer. Lord, the need is great. When the war comes to Israel, it is not more significant, but it is significant. We know that you have a promise over your people that before and during the second coming, and when you come again, many, many Jewish people will believe Christ. And we don't know how you're going to use this moment, but we pray you would use it profoundly. Lord, we pray for those in Gaza that this would be an opportunity for them to see that Jesus is the bread of life. We pray that they would turn to you if they don't know you. Lord, we pray you would protect them. 
We pray that you would do a work in this situation, continuing to prepare this world for the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's coming. We know he's coming. We believe with all of our heart and mind and soul he's coming. And we pray that you would help us while we endure trouble in this life. We thank you that you are engaged, that you listen to prayers like this, that you are working out your good intentions in Israel, in the Ukraine, and all over this world where there are skirmishes and violence and war. Father, you work to show us that life is not about the body. Life is about knowing you. Those who have Christ belong to you and will never die. And we believe this wholeheartedly and we pray for help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read John chapter 6, verses 1 down through verse 15 as we begin this morning. Just to give you a lay of the land and where we're going, we are, we are going to this place and that is to see the fourth sign in the book of John. This fourth sign is the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. It is repeated, underscored, and held up to show us particular truths about Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us to miss that he is the bread of life. And so as we move through these 15 verses, sometimes we'll compare what we learn in other places and other uh, retelling of the miracles. Sometimes we will uh, not do the comparison. We'll just say, well, what's John's purpose in telling us these details? First, we'll look at the miracle, and then we're going to ask the question, what is the significance of this miracle? What are we learning from this? And at the end, we will land on this, trying to answer this question, how do I get this bread? If Jesus is the bread, how do I get it? Where do I go? What do I do to make certain that I've tasted of the bread? Okay, so that's where we're going. Miracle, meaning, how can I make certain that I have the bread? As we start now in verse 1, John chapter 6. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. And now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing what a large crowd was coming, excuse me, that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that this people may eat? He said to him, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each one of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. 
Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So, Father, we ask one more time, open our eyes. Help us see Jesus clearly this morning. Amen. Guys, there's a lot of reasons to come to Jesus. We come to Jesus, many of us, we come with a friend who has a need. And so here we are in tow, and that person has this need and sees Jesus, and we are in proximity with them We are seeing who Jesus is, but this text wants to to point out, as Jesus does clearly, that coming to Jesus for physical needs to be met, coming to Jesus with a friend who believes, coming to Jesus temporarily or for a miracle is insufficient for the good of your soul. There's something more going on here that he really wants us to perceive. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do our best to show in verse 2, they were coming because they saw that they could be healed. In verse 15, they are coming because Jesus is the kind of guy who would heal us and feed us, so let's make him king. They are obsessed with the comfort and ease of this Life, this body, these days, temporary moments. They're thinking, I want a kingdom in this world now, and I want Jesus to be my king and lead me to happy, comfortable, uh, fulfilled, satisfied, resourced, easy living. And the whole point of this miracle is Jesus saying, ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. And we'll see that as we move through this passage. So verse 1, let's, let's uh, kind of move through. And I'm just going to keep my finger in the text and comment as we move down through this first half of the message here through verse 14. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. You see where he is. He's back in the north. He was up in the north in the quiet, apart, away from Jerusalem. And he went back in our, in our sign last week. He was in Jerusalem. And now he's back up north near the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Well, remember, he did the signs in the area right there. Water to wine, healing of the official son. And the news is spreading throughout that area of who Jesus is and what he's been doing as far as his miracles. Verse 3. Jesus went up on the mountain and there sat down with his disciples. Verse 4, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. More on that later. But suffice it to say for now, in parentheses, 
You're seeing what the Jewish leaders want to do. You know, so, so just so you're tracking, the Passover is a very nationalistic Jewish moment where every year they get together and say, we want to throw off the oppression of this world. We long for there to be the one that God promised who would come and deliver us. And they look back and they say, like Moses, remember that? We were in Egypt and we were living our lives. We were slaves and God brought Moses and he delivered us. We want there to be a deliverer like that. So every year they get together. And this year, here we are at Passover time and they are getting together and they are waving their Jewish flags and they are talking about next year in Jerusalem, we're going to be free and have a king because that's what they say every year. Next year in Jerusalem, next year in Jerusalem. Jesus is going to get caught up in their intention to have a kingdom in this world where there is a king on the throne in Jerusalem. And Jesus is seeing from the get-go that this huge crowd, and by the way, um, when we see the large number in verse 10, it says 5,000 men were fed in this miracle. Probably 20,000 people. It's a city that's come out to see this Jesus. And check him out. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews is at hand. And so we can feel the tension of what's going on. Oh man, they're all coming together. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that the large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now a couple things about Philip. Number one, uh, we know from the other tellings of this miracle in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that where they are near um, Bethsaida is a remote place. Think Hingham. They're in Hingham. And so the word remote is emphasized over and over again. And I want you to think about this. 20,000 people show up at your doorstep in Hingham and you look around and say, where are we going to feed the, how, how are we going to feed these people, right? He picks on Philip, I believe, because if you look back in chapter 1 in verse uh, um, 44, it says that Philip is from Bethsaida, so he knows where the food trucks park on Monday night. <laughs> and so he's like, oh, okay, well, what do you think, Philip? What do you think? Where are we going to find food here? And Philip's like, ah, uh, uh. But look what's happening here. Where are we to buy bread? So a large crowd coming toward him. Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread? Where are the food trucks parked so we can all eat? Verse 6, he said this to test him. Now here's the test. Philip, you saw me turn water to wine, right? You saw that I healed the official son, right? You saw that we went to Jerusalem by the pool of Bethesda and I healed the man who was lame for 38 years, right? Right. What are we going to do here? Uh, I'm with Philip, where I would look at him and go, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where the food trucks are. I don't know what we're going to do. Please pass on to the next opinion because I have, I'm out of ideas here. I'm out of idea. I don't know what we're going to do. But Jesus wants to test Philip. Incidentally, you should feel the, feel the order of these stories and these miracles in the text. Right? There's the, this order. Right after this, in the other three Gospels, Jesus 
tests Peter. Who do people say that I am? Now listen, Philip gets a big F on the test. Fail, you lose. But I'm going to teach you something from this, Philip. Peter, in the next instance, after the feeding and after the walking on the water, which we'll look at next week, passes the test. And Jesus says to him, that's right, I am the Christ, the son of the living God. That's been revealed to you, not from people around here. Philip certainly didn't tell you. That's been revealed to you from heaven, right? And so it's incredible to see what's going on. One other thing we'll say about the kind of uh, the, the, the temperature in the room, if you will, and that's this, that the local governors were starting to get hold of what Jesus was doing and there was problems and they were starting to follow him around and create problems. So, so the Jews were coming to ask questions and the Romans were coming because they were annoyed with what Jesus was doing. Remember what happened when, when Jesus sends them out two by two? All right, go out two by two. Don't take bread for your journey. Uh, go and, and teach, right? So in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that has just happened and there's probably a time period where they have gone out, they have ministered these miracles and they have described and announced and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus and it's turning Galilee upside down and now there's political tensions and religious tensions and that's again another reason why Jesus is saying, okay, let's get to this remote place like Hingham and see what we can do here and let me prove myself to you again. Verse 6. He said this to test him, for he, Jesus, knew what he would do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little. And so 200 denarii is 200 days wages. Let's do some quick math together, okay? Let's say that a typical person could make about $50,000 in a year in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. And let's say that 200 days of labor is about two-thirds of the year. So we're getting into that $35,000 amount of money. And that makes sense because if you and I saw a crowd of 20,000 people, we would say a buck 50 per person is not going to go very far for this many people. It's just not going to cover the need. And that's exactly what he says. 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each one of them to get even a little. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, uh, but hmm, what are they for so many? Now, a couple things about that, lest we think this kid brought monstrous loaves of bread and huge salmon caught in Lake Michigan, not so right? The, the size of these loaves is probably, if you can imagine, take a hot dog bun, cut it in half, and then open it up, and there's four pieces of bread. That's probably about, one of those is about the size of one of these loaves. Tiny, like little boy lunch. So a hot dog bun and a quarter, and then the fish, that's not, no, that's like sardines. It's like mom had a little pickled fish, put it in your lunch to help the bread taste a little bit better, right? That's what we're talking about, tiny little portions. John is not trying to say to us, yeah, it's a miracle that Jesus could get this 
20 pounds of salmon to go some, no, no. We're talking about ounces, little tiny portions. John is emphasizing how little there was in Jesus' hand because he wants you to see how great this miracle is. Jesus said, have the people sit down. And you can imagine the disciples. If, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm like, did you, did you hear what we just said? We've got like a handful of food. Have them sit down. Okay. But you know what? Jesus loves to put you and me in situations where we are completely out of control. Our plan is over. What we thought was going to happen to tomorrow cannot happen tomorrow or today. And all we can do is look to him and obey. He loves putting us in situations like that, and you can probably testify. That's the kind of thing he does in your life, where all your plans go up in smoke, and he just says, trust me, trust me. Incidentally, uh, again, from other passages, we know for sure this is the end of the day. We know that Jesus has spent all day having compassion on them, healing them, and teaching them who he is. And now he's ending the day with this evening meal. And we see in verse 10, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. That indicates really that it really was right around the Passover. Because if they had had this event in, say, July, August, September, the grass would have been withered away. That's when Jesus would say, the grass withers and the uh, things fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. But this time of year, he says, look at the grass, beautiful, in March and April, sit down in it. And so he's having them seated in the green pastures. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Verse 11, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Here's the point of the miracle. Jesus will take a tiny little bit, multiply it so that thousands of people can have as much as they want. So we're here to tell you this is not a a story of people learning to share. Everybody had their lunch. They got it out. They started. No, no. This is Jesus miraculously providing something from almost nothing. This is Jesus taking what was very little and making it plenty for everyone who would come to him. And as if the end of verse 11 is insufficient, where it says, as much as they wanted, he underscores it again at the beginning of verse 12. And when they had eaten their fill, So these people had pigged out on the bread. Now, I should say pig out uh, because when I used the picture of the hot dog bun, that's really true. Barley bread was like the entry-level, worst, cheapest bread in the world back then. Like it was not like he he was taking it and making into this beautiful, he just daily bread, need, not want. And so he was multiplying the bread for their good. Verse 12, and when they'd eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments. Okay, there's going to be leftovers here, so that nothing may be lost. By the way, we'll pick up that again next week. Verse 13, so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets. They had more 
after the miracle of multiplication than they had when the miracle began. Far more, in fact, 12 full baskets. And you and I should be looking, well, what is that? You know that John's doing symbols, 38 years, and the, the, uh, he uses the very the water jugs that were used for ceremonies, and he puts wine in them. He's using symbolism. We're going to pick up that symbolism next week about the 12 baskets. Why 12 baskets? Let's keep going, though, for now. Verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, They said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. So here these people who had come to be healed and they had gotten their daily bread, they start saying, okay, now we heard about a guy like that. And that guy was talked about, it's true, um, uh, you know, back in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, and you don't have to turn there for the sake of time, I'm just going to tell you the story that in Deuteronomy chapter 18, Verses 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19, uh, the scripture says that there's a prophet that's like Moses. And he will come up from among your brothers. And so here they are in, near Cana in Bethsaida, and they're like, okay, a prophet from among our brothers. Here he is. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. And so they're beginning to say, okay, you're, you're the second Moses here. You're the one that Moses was talking about. So we're going to listen to you. And Jesus picks up on this listening and says, okay, if you're going to listen to me, I'm going to teach you some things. I'm going to teach you some things that are very important. All right? When the people saw that he had done what he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And then verse 15 is what you and I have to make sure we're not doing today. Verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, now think of this. Near the Passover, there's already trouble politically. Already the, the local authorities are annoyed with the uproar from these previous moments where they've been going out and ministering in the name of Jesus and speaking about this king, this king of kings. There's already trouble. And now 20,000 people are about to rise up and say, let's make him king. Let's make him king at the Passover. Let's do this right now. And look at Jesus' response. Perceiving that they were about to come and make, take him by force to make him king, Jesus dodged them. That's what that word withdrew me. He dodged them again to the mountain by himself. Jesus has the power to meet your daily needs. And so as we think through this, this first concept, what we've been saying here is uh, as Jesus reveals that he is the bread of life, he alone is the bread of life, we've been taking a look at that first 14 verses. Take a look. Behold the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. Look what Jesus did. He took practically nothing and made it plenty for thousands of people. He has all the power to do that and more. And so as we look at that miracle, first, we, we got to understand what is he communicating to us by the miracle? Okay, so secondly, as Jesus reveals that he is the bread of life, each of us must understand the meaning of this miracle. And the first thing we want to say is this. I've been emphasizing it, underscoring it, and now I want to relax it. Because here's what we've been saying. Jesus didn't come to set up a kingdom. True. Jesus didn't come merely to heal you. True. True. 
Jesus didn't come merely to give you wonder buns and, and, and small fish to give you daily bread. True. But the point of this miracle, the, the entry point for this teaching is this. Jesus cares greatly about your everyday life. He cares about your body. He cares about your provision. You should bring the need of the day to him and ask him to help. Lord, provide for me. Lord, heal me. Jesus is not saying, I don't care about your body. I'm only here for the the kingdom of God. He's saying, let the needs, your daily needs of your body, push you to want something more significant from me than merely the bread and merely the fish. Want something more. So Jesus cares. He's been healing. He's been feeding. He's been helping right along to open the door to teach the people that there's something far more that they need from him. We're going to touch on selected verses in the rest of this John chapter 6 because all of John chapter 6 is now saying, here's what, these, here's what the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 means. Bread of life, bread of life, bread of life. It's going to go on and on. You could read it, in fact, this week in your devotions. If you don't normally open the scriptures and read day by day, I trust that that would be something you'd be hungry for. Open John chapter 6 every day this week and see the meaning of Jesus feeding 5,000. You will be astounded at all of the things Jesus says. We're going to touch on some of them. They received an abundance of food from him for free. Look at verse 26. Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, you are seeking me not because you want to know more about the kingdom I'm coming to bring, not because you want to know more about the signs, not because you want to understand me, you're coming for the free food. He says it like this, because you ate your fill of the loaves. Well, Jesus cares about our bodies. He takes care, but if it's my main concern, Jesus will not appease me long. He wants to ratchet things up so that we see who he is and what he's doing here. It says here, as we continue on, verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures. Now, there is a, a teaching here to work. He wants us to work as we're thinking through understanding the meaning of the sign. So he, he says, look, don't work for this food that perishes. Don't make your life all about dollars. Don't make your life all about a career. Don't set your heart only on walls and heat and uh, relaxing and entertainment and the 80 years that you might be given in this life. Don't set your heart on that only, is his emphasis. There exists a food, a provision that can only be given from Jesus that is good for your eternity. He says that in verse 27. Don't work for the food that perishes. Don't set up a kingdom in this world only, but work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Three things we want to say. We're going to pick up on that work later at the end. 
Because here's what they're saying. Work for the bread of life. All of us would say, wait, 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 I thought it was a gift of grace. I thought there was no work involved. Well, we're going to we're going to hammer that out at the end, so hang with me on that. Secondly, you see where the fruit of life, or excuse me, the bread of life comes from, from the Son of Man. You see that in verse 27? Just make no mistake, Jesus is absolutely identifying himself as the King of kings and Lord of lords. If you would like to do more work on that, well, let me just do the work for you here, okay? Um, in verse 27, when he says Son of Man, first of all, it's a favorite uh, title that he uses in the book of John. He loves talking about himself as the son of man. The first place we see that is all the way back in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where Daniel says, hey, there's one coming who is God, who's like the son of man. So we're getting this, this unbelievable connection of Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And the title, the Son of Man, helps us emphasize that he is fully God. It's a little counterintuitive that it's the title Son of Man that emphasizes his deity, and it's the title Son of God which emphasizes his humanity. But that's how I see it as we move through this. Daniel 7, there will come one who's like the Son of Man, but he's God. And we know he's God because to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Not for the Jews only, but we're praying for our Jewish friends today. But that all peoples, all nations, and all languages should serve him. His domain is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not pass away. And so Jesus is saying, guys, that's me. Daniel 7, speaking of the one who will have a kingdom for, that is universal for all people, that is eternal and never pass away, it's talking about me. Note also in verse 27 that the bread that we need for life is given by Jesus. The Son of Man will give you the bread. Well, that is a gift of grace. You cannot demand it. And we'll talk about it in a minute. You can't even work for it, even though he commends work in, in a moment. And we'll see what that's all about. Verse 35. And again, we're hitting highlights of the meaning of this miracle. What is the meaning of the feeding of the 5,000? Verse 35 says this. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And he's saying, you understand that life isn't about a few years in this world and, and just getting through and eating some literal bread. If you're going to come to me, you're going to have to see a complete new definition of living and life. Come to me. See that in your everyday living and life, I am who you need so that you can have fellowship, so that your soul can be nourished by God the Father. Come to me. I will teach you that on the last day, we'll see in just a minute, I will raise you up. And so this belief and trust coming to Jesus, he's the constant source of life. And we're aware that Jesus brings life and in fact is life. Confident that he's the son of man and rejoicing therein. 
Verse 35 says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You, when I read that, I've got throwback to chapter 3 and 4, where he, four, when he talks to the, the woman at the well, and he says, he talks about the fact that he's the eternal water. If you knew who you were talking to, you would ask for the water. And she says, give me that, etern- that water that will never run out. And here the Jews say to him, or yeah, the crowd says to him, give me the food that will never run out. And he says this, I am the food. I am the bread of life. Life is having Jesus in such a way that we know we need him every day and he satisfies our hunger. Living our life in such a way that that we are satisfied in him, living our life in such a way that compared to how we treasure him, focus on him, pursue him, have him, love him, anything and everything else in our life pales in comparison. It's not made up. It's not trying to emphasize that. It's a reality. We want Jesus and have Jesus as our daily sustenance, full of joy because of his presence. He conforms our character and desires to his own. And so we see Jesus is the very bread of life. Verse 40, finally, uh, trying to understand precisely what this miracle is, is seeking to Communicate to us, verse 40, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, that's now, and that I will raise him up in the last day. So a totally different outlook in your world and mine where we see Jesus and say, okay, he's changed everything now. And he's changed everything forever. He is my treasure. He satisfies my soul every day. He is the bread of life. I'm going to eat of him and never turn to another source for satisfaction. And that's where we get to the final point that we're looking at today. And that's this. How do I get this bread? How am I going to get it? It's answered all over this text. Where do I turn? How do I get it? We're going to go back to verse 27 and try to clear up what Jesus is saying, or not clear up. We're just going to let Jesus explain what he means when he says in verse 27, you should really work really hard, not for the bread to get through the day, but for the bread that endures for eternal life. For on him, at the end of verse 27, God the Father has set his seal, verse 28. They said to him, what must we do? to be doing this work. How, we, how, how can we, we'll do the work. You tell us what to do. We'll, you tell us how high, we'll jump that high. Jesus said, okay, here's, here's what it is. Verse 28. This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. The work of God is faith alone. Faith alone. It's work because we live in a generation that tells us you've got to earn it or it's not yours. It's faith because we live in a body and in a mindset that says, I want to feel like I've earned it from you, God. And so receiving a gift of grace from the Son of Man is really hard for me. And Jesus said, no, no, don't let that trip you up. 
Don't get tripped up by what you do to get this bread. It is putting aside every expectation that it could ever fall on you to get it or keep it. Work to believe. Work to trust and put to death any competition that this generation would give, that you would come to him and then feel like, yeah, I'm good enough. Yeah, I at least came. Yeah, I made an effort. Yeah, I jumped through a hoop. Yeah, look at, no, no. Jesus is saying this, you want to work for this? Here's how you work for it. Don't believe any of that. Have faith in me, faith alone, that I am the bread from heaven. As if that's not enough, he wants to come from every effort to answer the question. And we're going to answer the questions rather quickly. But he comes from all these, he uses different words to say the same thing like seven times in this passage. Read it in your, in your devotions this week. We're going to underscore two or three of them right now, right? So number one, work to believe. All right, number two, verse 35. Here's another word. He's saying the exact same thing. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. How are you going to get the bread? You've got to come to him. You've got to come to him. That means you have to leave behind everything else you've went, gone to to get fulfillment. You've got to leave behind everything else you think is the definition of happy life and happy living in this world. Leave it all behind. Come to me. Jesus said, come to me. Second answer. So number one, believe. Number two, come. Verse 40. He answers it in another way. Just so maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, so far those two really didn't land on me. So I want another. What do you, how do I get the bread? Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the answer from verse 40 Look. Look to Jesus. Don't let your eyes be drawn to another source, potential source of fulfillment in this life. I might look to another. I might look to, I followed him so long. Now I might look away. No, no. Set your gaze on Jesus. Look to him. Stare at him. Watch him. Jesus is the bread of life. Look to him. Stop looking, seeking, wanting any other fulfillment or fulfillment from any other source than Jesus. Cast your gaze on Jesus. And the last one we'll cover is the hardest one for them to take. Verses 47 through 51. Because if we're going to come and believe and we're going to come to, we're going to, come to him and we're going to look to him, verses 47 through 51, let me just let the cat out of the bag and then we're going to des- describe it. You're going to have to eat the bread. That's what you do with bread if you believe it's the bread. Eat. Verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Parentheses. Jesus continually is saying, I am the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies and promises of God. He is continually putting that before them. Don't miss this, guys. Uh, uh, he says, uh, I'm the temple. 
And he even goes so far as to sovereignly allow that the temple would be destroyed in AD 70 so that the religious people of the day couldn't go back to the temple. Look to me, Jesus said, I'm the temple. I am the place of worship of the Lord. He's saying to him, don't worry about the ceremonial system of washing your hands. I'm turning water that we would wash our hands with to wine. Don't miss that. Don't miss the fact that if you destroy this temple, I will build it in three days. Don't miss that. Don't miss the 38 years reference that we talked about last week. And here he's saying, don't miss the fact that God sent manna to take care of you in the wilderness. And you all know the story of how God sovereignly, miraculously took care of thousands of people every day for 38 years in the wilderness wanderings. And I just want you to know, Jesus would say here, I'm the real manna who's come to sustain you and help you and give you life. I'm the bread of life, verse 49. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Hey, if we set up a kingdom in this world and it's all good for a minute, we'll die. It's going to be, if we don't have a bread of life, then we are dead. And all the things we do in this life are temporary. But if we have a bread of life, Jesus would say, verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh Now, we don't literally eat the flesh of Jesus, but we so take in his person. We so believe him. He he settles up and lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We literally eat, we literally swallow every word that he said, and we believe that his word reveals him. We hold to it with all of our heart and mind and soul. And so it's crucial to see that Jesus is saying here at the end, here's how you come. You believe, you come, you look, you're going to have to eat. You have to fully embrace who I am. And look at verse 60 because it's pretty sad. After all of this, being in the crowd, eating the food, seeing everything, very curious, my friend believes, I'm here with the group, I want him to be my king. Verse 60. Many of his disciples heard that this hard saying. He said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said, do you take offense at this? We're going to pick that up next week. Take offense at this? Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back. We are here today to say, friends, Jesus is the bread of life. And he has not made it hard. It will cost you everything. But he has not made it hard for you to come and take the bread of life. Surrender all of your life to him and he will give you true life. See that he did not come to just so you can or I can pursue him momentarily when the wheels are off the cart and then forget about him as we move on with our lives. Jesus is the bread of life. And he invites you to come. And if you come, this passage says, 
He will satisfy you forever and ever. And so for you, if you've come curious, we want to make sure you understand eating some bread temporarily is not the answer. And for our friends in Jerusalem today and our friends in the promised land today, we want them to see if you missed him fully, and these people did, the invitation remains, okay, you missed me the first time. Jesus is still King of kings and Lord of lords. He's still the bread that will satisfy the soul. And we are praying today, oh, friends in Israel, impacted by thousands of missiles and seeing the realities of Hamas and war on their streets, come and see today that real life is in Jesus. And if you will come and eat the bread of life, he will give you life abundant today and life eternal forevermore. Let's stand to be dismissed. Father, those who have the bread will never lose the bread. You come to provide for us the food that we so desperately need, and we pray, Father. Lord, for the one who's curious and not yet ready to eat, We're so thankful that they're here today. And we pray that you would do your work in them. For the one that is fully convinced and yet is stuck in a pattern of just not really growing, we pray that we would not give them three easy steps and a booklet. But we would tell them, oh, friend, we have been there. You need a high view of scripture and you need to see how desperately you need to eat the bread of life every day. How desperately you need for Jesus to come and be your all in all. And I pray you'd come and arrest their heart and that through the glory of the name of Jesus Christ, you would help them grow in grace. And Lord, for those of us that have, have taken the bread in ourselves, help us to not become conceited. Help us to not become lackluster, ho-hum. We have the bread. No, Lord, it's a miracle again today that you would feed your people. Thank you for feeding us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for revealing beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is the son of man. He is the true manna. He is the bread of life. And I pray that we would go now in his name. Amen.